Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey everyone, David Tainter here. I wanted to make a quick mention before today's episode that we recorded before Trump supporters stormed the Capitol and disrupted the tallying of the Electoral College votes. So we weren't able to get into what has become the major story of the day. Uh, But with that, hope you enjoy today's episode. Thanks. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. It is January 6th, 2021. As we are uh, starting recording this episode, the beginnings of the antics in the cha- in the House chamber in Washington, D.C. seem to be uh, underway. I'm actually kind of out of, out of one eye watching the live feed on uh, C-SPAN, so that's happening. Uh, President Trump is either still speaking at that rally or perhaps just concluded, I uh, don't know. And uh, at some level, it's good to say, you know, I kind of don't care, right? <laughs> but of course, the big news is this pretty stunning and, and immensely consequential development last night in the state of Georgia, where both Democrats won their Senate seats, won Senate seats, uh, pretty much everybody's called the warnock Leffler race. Uh, I think uh, basically people are still holding on, you know, people aren't calling Ossoff yet, but it's pretty clear that that is, uh, that both are, both are done. So it is, it, there's a lot to say about this. One thing I, w- I was talking to, an old friend of mine uh, uh, this morning by text or Twitter or something like that. And this is what Democrats needed on November 3rd. It's, it's, it's not just that controlling the Senate is a big, big deal. And we'll talk about that in a second. But this is a happy moment. And uh, Democrats were kind of deprived of that in a few different ways back on November 3rd and November 4th. One of, one of the reasons was that it was closer than a lot of us thought. You know, sort of who cares? That's just an artifact of, you know, it doesn't matter that the polls were said it was X and it was Y as long as, uh, you know, as, as, as long as uh, Biden ended up winning. But there were, you know, problems down ballot. Uh, Republicans gained seats in the House, which was very unexpected. And, uh, but this feels good. And this is a big, big deal for, again, for reasons we'll talk about in a moment. And I will tell you, it is something I did not, uh, I would not let myself start thinking was possible. I'm not saying I didn't think it, it was possible it could happen, but I wasn't. I was not getting my hopes up. And actually, uh, I spoke uh, or or slacked with my co-host Kate uh, 
sometime around five or six yesterday evening. You know, kind of, what do you think? What's your gut tell you? And what I told her was, I have no idea. I really have no idea. I, I you know, kind of, and that was 100% true. Uh, you know, the polls were super close with maybe the slightest, slightest, slightest advantage for the, for both Democrats, but we've seen, I mean, to our great heartbreak that polls in the Trump era seem to, you know, give the Republicans two or three extra points pretty consistently. So all the, all the stuff I, you know, I, I had no idea. And, uh, and yet here we are. And this is a big, big deal. Uh, it, it's hard to stress how big a deal it was. Look, there, there is not going to be uh, big, bold, progressive legislation in the next two years. That's not going to happen. It's, it is a, it is a, a minuscule uh, majority that is only secured with, with the vice presidency. And that uh, uh, critically rests in uh, rests with with Joe Manchin, who obviously has a very different politics from most Democrats. We know all this kind of stuff. But having the majority in the Senate does two things. The first is Joe Biden is going to be able to pick his cabinet and and form a government. And that was not at all, not at all clear. I think. I, I think people have been underestimating to the extent to which the Republicans were just going to not confirm people for big positions. And Joe Biden was going to have to go basically hand in hand to uh, Mitch McConnell to sort of beg and barter with him to be allowed to be president. That's not going to happen. Joe Biden's going to get confirmed any reasonable nominee to basically any position. And when I say reasonable, I just mean in the sense of, uh, you know, if he, we found out this morning that he's going to pick Merrick Garland to be the attorney general. But if he had wanted to pick Sally Yates, he could do that. She would get approved. No Democrat is going to, is going to nix that. And I suspect she'd get some Republican votes. So that whole thing changes. Joe Biden gets to actually be president, which is a huge, huge deal. The other thing is that controlling the calendar in the Senate, which is to say what comes up for a vote and what does not, is huge. Even if you can't win every vote, you get to decide what is voted on. You don't necessarily give to, get to give the answers, but you get to ask the questions. And the entirety of Mitch McConnell's leadership in the Senate has been to protect Republicans by simply not allowing most things to come to a vote. You don't have to vote against them because they never come to a vote. It is a huge, huge difference. And if, if you are wondering if there is a, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a dark lining on this or, you know, whatever, whatever the metaphor is, there's not. This is really good. This is really good. And 
This is like running the table. It's a big, big deal. Uh, let me remind you, before we get started, that the Josh Marshall podcast is brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. Uh, I'm just going to freestyle this to, uh, on this episode. Uh, this is great stuff. I've got Grady's with me right now. If you like iced coffee, this is this is just great, great stuff. I love it. Our whole staff loves it. Uh, we live on the stuff we especially did back in the before times when we when we worked in an office. It is great. You should give it a try. Uh, and if you if you haven't if you haven't uh, ordered Grady's before. You can get 25% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. That's Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. And again, I will just tell you, as a, as a legit iced coffee aficionado, it's really good. It's the best iced coffee I've ever tried. And uh, I, 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 can, um, I can say that without any nonsense. Uh, editorial sales, uh, church state stuff, because it's actually true because I've been drinking this stuff forever. So, uh, with that said, with that said, let's, uh, bring in my co-hosts, Kate Riga and David Tainter. And, uh, first before with me getting ahead of myself, before I bring them in, <laughs> Kate, thank you for covering this Georgia center race. Clearly you made this happen. <laughs> and in addition to your great coverage, you got the job done. So whenever we see a, a critical race coming up, we need to we need to know to give you uh, give you the assignment. Yeah, I, I think that's right. It's yeah, about time this credit started flowing to me. Well, so. there you go, there you go. You put in your time and you and you get the credit. Uh, David, what are we talking about today? Yeah, well, Kate and I were talking just before we uh, pressed the record button. It just was, we were having major feelings of deja vu last night, just the kind of slow burn of a democratic victory coming on the Twitter numbers crunchers back in full force, right? I um, had to follow a few of them again, um, you know, glued to Dave Wasserman's Twitter feed, waiting to see when he had seen enough or anything. <laughs> he's like the canonical um, guy. Like he's like, you actually yeah. can call the Supreme Court and tell them to shut down the, shut down the county after he makes the call. <laughs> that's right. Once he's seen enough, yeah. that's, that's it. Um, Kate, I'm wondering, you know, where you, we are just about 12 hours after, you know, the Warnock race was called the Ossoff race is still hasn't been called by any news networks, you know, could be early this afternoon. We, we get a, a projection from one of the major networks, but, um, you know, it's trending in the in the direction for him. Do you have a sense of what pushed them over the edge? I mean, you know, we can recount for listeners just really quickly that over the, you know, since President Trump's defeat in November, it's kind of been all over the place. Oh, the election is rigged, but vote for these two senators because we need a Republican-controlled Senate, but the election was stolen from us, but it's we need these votes. So it's kind of like just been all over the place and... And and also it's so important because Kamala Harris will be vice president, even though I won and I'm never leaving the White House. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, it's hard to follow the the kind of ping pong back and forth. But do you have a sense of kind of what what was the deciding factor here, or you know, was it just a mix of of various different things? Yeah, I mean, the recriminations on the Republican Party started, you know, early and often, and uh, Trump has been the favored scapegoat there. And I think to some degree that's fair. You know, um, Gabe Sterling, who's kind of the 
the once unknown election implementation person in Georgia who's become, you know, the celebrity of the moment uh, was saying that Trump had spent the last few months attacking Raffensperger and Kemp more than he had Warnock and Ozov. And I don't, I mean, that's not an exaggeration. That's true. Um, and I think some people thought that kind of the few minutes that Trump was able to recover some message discipline during his rally stops in Georgia would be enough um, when he did tell people to go out and vote. But, you know, the theme of even those rallies and his behavior since the election is classic Trump, all about me, election was rigged, was pretty clear he didn't actually care about what happened with these Senate races. Um, And it kind of goes to a bigger thing, which is that Republicans haven't proved that they have a turnout engine without Trump on the ballot. Um, And they didn't really attempt to build one divorced from him for this race. You know, Purdue and Leffler decided instead to hew as close to him as possible. And that was a gamble from the beginning. That was a gamble that Trump would care enough about their race to actually promote their candidacies and to attack the other guys. And, you know, he's never shown that kind of selflessness before, and he didn't this time around. Um, But an interesting thing that we kind of saw from the beginning last night, and that has continued today, is that... Warnock was running ahead of Ossoff pretty much everywhere in the state. That was true. Um, and I think that's interesting for a few reasons, one of which Leffler is objectively a weaker candidate than Purdue. Um, voters only had a year to get to know her. She was appointed, and as we've seen with appointed candidates under Trump, they tend not to do that well, you know, looking at you, Martha McSally. And she never really developed much of a you know, like a personality or even also, kind of... Also that dude in yeah. Alabama. Remember the guy in Alabama who, who uh, you know, lost the, the primary? Oh. That that got what's-his-name in? So I, Luther Strong? Luther Strange? Yeah, Luther Strange? Is it Strange? Okay. I don't know. Strange. That sounds like yeah. a comic book villain name yeah. now that I'm saying it, but... And then, and then the, uh, the, 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 the uh, you know, the barely legal guy got beat him in the primary right, or, yeah yeah right. uh, and then doug jo- and, and then doug jones won right? yeah and then the, that right. loud right, yeah. right, and then right. lost yeah. and then lost yeah, yeah, yeah. good point so uh, yeah appointees in the trump era don't you know don't tend to get reelected. but you know and then she beyond that she never really developed a personality for herself as a senator um i think probably the thing people knew most about her were her stock trades um and her like enormous wealth. If you kind of someone was tweeting yesterday about the legislation that she'd put forth while she was in the Senate, and it's all either like pretty much stupid, tinged with offensive kind of stuff, you know, just symbolic things. Um, so she was not the best candidate. Um, and then she spent her entire campaign going, you know, all out racist, negative attacks against Warnock. Not even really racially, you know, tinged or veiled, just full out, you know, she said things about how he wants your neighborhood to be unsafe. It really wasn't very subtle. Um, And I think that kind of added to Warnock's enduring appeal, which is that he's got extremely deep roots in Georgia, especially to the black community. Um, He's pastor at Ebenezer Baptist Church, where Martin Luther King Jr. used to preach. So he already kind of had very deep roots to these people who have shown themselves to be, uh, you know, critical organizers in Georgia. You know, the black community has really kind of taken that upon themselves. And 
her going after him in such an offensive way, I can only imagine kind of buoyed that support that he already got, um, making him into this, you know, he was the front runner pretty quickly. They didn't call the race until two, but it wasn't much of a question, especially with his, you know, with Ossoff, we had to wait a little bit longer. Uh, Purdue was ahead, you know, Ossoff inches closer, closer, closer. And then we kind of wait for the big dumps from, you know, your Fultons, the, the big metro areas that um, have kind of put him over the edge and then put him into this safety spot now, which is that basically the only vote left is going to be Democratic. So, you know, that's what it is. But yeah, I don't know. It was interesting because as we've said on this pod before, we came into this race so blind because there were basically no polls. No one really felt comfortable making predictions in this weird year with these weird dynamics. Um, And yeah, I mean, I was definitely surprised last night. I thought in my heart of hearts that the Republicans would probably pull it off, despite kind of the good signs for Democrats and the warning signs for Republicans at the end. I mean, the the, the thing is, this runoff system is literally designed to end Democratic candidacies. Right. You know, originally it was Republicans versus Democrats, but it is, it's basically there to prevent uh, black candidates from getting any traction or just liberal candidates, anybody, but, you know, not the sort of the dominant political class in the state. And I noticed that someone, I can't remember who said on, on Twitter last night, like, I guarantee you, this will be the last Georgia runoff because they're just going to get rid of this. Right. Um, so, yeah, and, and, you know, I refer to that conversation uh, Kate and I had, the kind of like, yeah, I was figuring it's, you know, this is going to be sort of like Ossoff's first race back mm-hmm. in 2017, where, you know, it's close, but what, he, he misses by two points or something like that. Um, it's, it's funny, wild. Josh, it, it reminds me of the argument you've made in the past, and I think we've talked about on the show, and which is that politics is kind of a muscle or that elections are a muscle that you kind of build strength over time. And yeah, Ossoff lost that special election for, was it Tom Price's seat? When yep, yep. When Price became HHS secretary and then mm-hmm. flamed out himself. Um, and then, yeah, a couple of years later, or four years later, I guess. Yeah, no, two, you know. Oh, but also remember that that uh, I don't even. I think her name was Handel, the yeah, the woman Karen who Handel, yeah who, right. beat, who beat him, and then Lucy McBath mm-hmm. beat right. her, and I think I think that McBath's seat wasn't even really that strongly contested in 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 2020. I mean, I'm sure they fielded a candidate, but it but basically they kind of realized that that was not. You know, they didn't have a, a, a real shot. And uh, some people remember that is Newt Gingrich's old seat. And it's not just, you know, um, there's been a couple redistrictings since then. But it really is. That is his seat. It's pretty much the same seat. And, uh, you know, and even, uh, you know, Newt's been out of office for more than 20 years. But Tom Price, pretty right wing guy. Right. Um, And that's just four years ago. So uh, there's and there's a lot. of One thing I was kind of I don't know if you guys saw this. But one of the reasons uh, I I spent uh, the first part of the evening doing something else besides watching anything was because kind of like. I, I, I was not up for another November 3rd. Like, you know, it's just a little too much for me at this point. So I was I was uh, working on a project 
but what the first thing I saw was CNN comes out with its with its exit polls, and man, they looked terrible. It had the the over sixty five vote going up dramatically. It had basically no young voters showing up. It had, um, I think, it had you know Purdue's margin with suburban voters going through the, or I I can't remember if it was like suburban voters or affluent white voters, you know, but some permutation of a, you know, kind of similar demographic, maybe it was college educated white voters. Um, And it had, uh, it had his numbers with and, and this was about the Ossoff race, because that's where you can get a kind of an apples to apples comparison, since both guys running, you know, in, in both of the elections. It did have his numbers uh, doing better with black voters. It was interesting. They actually said people of color, which I was kind of wondering, like, what is that? That's not really, you know, there's a... Uh, there is a political logic and argument in 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 that way of of classifying groups in the population, but in exit poll terms, it really confuses things. Like you're talking about African American voters, are you talking about all non-white voters? Like what are you talking about? In any case, the ex the, those exit polls early from CNN looked devastating for the Democrats. Like they were going to lose by ten points, and I mean it looked really really terrible. And I I'm still kind of curious, like what happened with that? I mean we've all seen that elect that um that exit polls, you, you know, are, are not something to put a lot of stock in. And the people who run them will tell you the reason they're called early exit polls is they have to be basically cross-referenced with the actual results as you go in, blah, 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 blah. But man, these were way, way off. And, I, and I'm still kind of curious, like what, what was that was about? That- was that just the election day? You know, you can't really exit poll, I guess, you know, absentee well, voters and well, mail This is the thing, though. I don't know exactly the specifics, but g- given what we know now, the exit poll companies are at least have a system where they say they are doing, you know, the mail-in votes, the early in-person votes. And I think that is because they have people there on the early in-person days, and maybe they're doing some kind of polling um, to capture mail-in voting. Uh, but So yes, it's not like they're just doing day of and assuming that's going to be fine, since clearly that's ridiculous, right? I mean, we know the, the in-person skews dramatically. Uh, but that, but just because they got a system doesn't mean it doesn't mean it works, right? So I have no idea. But I was, but I mean, seriously, after I saw that, I was like, oof, I'm <laughs> not, I, I do not need to, to experience this one in real time. I'm going to go, go do some woodworking. Well, that's interesting to me too, because after all, kind of the agita around polling, you know, this time the lack of polling in Georgia, what polling there was ended up being looks like it's going to be pretty right on the money. You know, it had both. Like almost of the, within a percentage point. Yeah, really close. I mean, I think the final 538 aggregate had Warnock up in the neighborhood of a point and a half, Purdue up 0. 0.8, 0. 0.9, something just less than a point. And that is like pretty much where it's going to line up, uh, which is interesting because our conclusion after November was that, you know, polls 
that when Trump is on the ballot, they get weird. They do weird things. You know, pollsters haven't figured out how to capture those dynamics. And then here we are, our first kind of perfect test case where Trump is not on the ballot and the polls are right on the money. You know, it does kind of shore up that argument a little bit. Um, It makes me kind of wonder, you know, what was going on here? Did Trump voters just fully drop out of the electorate? Is that why the polling nailed it this time? And I think, you know, I think that's not completely beyond the realm of possibility since he spent every week before the election telling his people that their votes didn't matter. I'm really curious to see what the sort of the, you know, after action reports on this, because at least last night, what we were seeing was, you know, in the sort of the mix of commentary from people who know, you know, who who can make sense of numbers, but obviously night of, you're not going to get the full picture, was that uh, Republicans claw back some votes in the sort of the affluent suburbs, which again, that's not surprising because you got some people, they hate Trump, but they're still basically Republicans, so they go back to the Republican, that you have historic African-American turnout, like off the charts, and then underperformance in rural Trump areas. And then, yes, but, but, but this morning I saw someone saying, well, it ended up that, you know, the Trump people showed up and uh, just more Democrats showed up. So I'm curious what, what, you know, what it'll end up, what it will, um, what it will end up being. And I, and I do think, and you're seeing some of the sort of discussion of this, that, uh, um, Republicans now face the possibility of the worst of both worlds, where Trump isn't on the ballot to get you to be able to beat the polls and and pull rabbits out of your hat, but he is there on the sidelines destroying your candidates, right? <laughs> so, you know, bring it on. Like, okay, that's fine for me. But, but you know, it's... Uh, he is a phenomenon in American politics. You cannot take that away from him. Do you, th- do you think, you know, given... Purdue and Leffler's defeats in Georgia, that Trump, you know, we've we've been kind of hearing about Trump 2024 and he'll launch this comeback and he's still kind of, you know, king of the party or whatever. Do you think that starts to fade a bit? Does his influence and control over the party wane now that, you know, it's kind of a self-own in these Georgia Senate races and Democrats control the Senate barely, like you say, Josh, but, um, you know, control Good both houses of Congress yeah. and uh, and the White House. Does Trump just kind of slink away at this point? Maybe go back to Mar-a-Lago and enjoy his golf course and whatnot? Well, I think Trump loves being the center of attention too much to slink away. But, you know, the primary dynamic to me is that Trump is a fundamentally selfish person. You know, he's just proven that again and again. And I don't think he's capable of campaigning for someone else with any kind of verve if it doesn't directly impact him. Um, So the thing that I'm kind of curious about is if Trump had kind of gone all out for Purdue and Leffler, if he had been out there every day saying, I love them, you know, you like me, they're, they're me. So you got to vote for them. If he had done that, I think we'd be looking at a very different situation. And that puts Republicans in a weird spot because you've got this person who, you know, I had one pollster tell me he's you know, radioactive either way. He's either a nuclear power plant that kind of electrifies the state or he's a bomb that blows up the candidates' campaigns. And I think that's true. And I think if you're a Republican, part of you is thinking, we've seen that this guy can drive turnout, you know, drive turnout to the extent that he won in 2016, kind of against all odds and predictions. So 
dad is a force, but so far he's just proved himself to be impossible to harness for any other purpose. And then, you know, I don't, my thing is, I don't know if future candidates are going to be willing to take the risk that Purdue and Leffler did. Because by all, you know, by all means, they should have won. Like, I know Biden won Georgia, but he didn't win it by a huge amount. I mean, no one's saying that Georgia is California. You know, it's got Republican roots. And you had two candidates who, while I think they kind of ran bad campaigns, they're pretty typical Republicans. And they both lost in a special election that Republicans hardly ever lose. I mean, we could not have a better example of the huge risk you take when you make it all about Trump, when your entire campaign is about how much you love Trump. Because if you don't convince people of that, and if Trump doesn't convince people of that, you're toast. What else do you have? That's it. That's what you staked everything on. Um, so I don't know. I just think, I, my, the last thing I was just saying, I think Trump is going to spend forever dangling his, his next run, whether he does or not, just to keep himself relevant. But I don't really see Trump kind of traveling the country, making stumping for other candidates, trying to further the Republican cause. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I mean, they totally, you know, just, just glued. I mean, they might as well have been like, you know, wearing Trump fat suits, right? <laughs> I mean, they, they, they wrap themselves in Trump so totally. But I think what is what is the challenge for them now is that if you think about it, they had no choice. Any effort to separate themselves from Trump would have immediately had Trump torch them and and totally make it impossible for them to to win. I mean, there's just no doubt in my mind that would have happened. So really, they had this was their you know this was their best play. It was their only play, right? I mean, and that is, I mean. One of the things that came out in that, you know, that call, that, that uh, you know, leaked phone call that made such a stir over the weekend, rightly, was that in private, Trump was aggressively putting out there, you deliver for me, or those two are toast. I mean, the threats were pretty, ex- you know, pretty explicit. And he clearly had his heart in those threats. Now, when he got out to, a, um, you know, to a rally, yeah, he basically said, hey, I need them and all that kind of stuff. And that that thing, uh, well, I mean, I'm losing track of time, was two days ago, okay? <laughs> um, but that thing where he's like, oh, come up here, you know, all that kind of stuff. The, so, um, the question I have is, I mean, absolutely, there's no way... Trump becomes sort of like a dutiful guy helping the, you know, helping the GOP. My question is, how much energy is he going to have to keep crucifying Republicans a month from now, two years from now, four years from now? It takes a lot of energy to sustain that, right? Um, I have no doubt he, you know, that he's going to show up and, and, you know, campaign against uh, Brian Kemp. Um, but how much does he, you know, how long does he really take time from the golf course to, to, to do this stuff? And, and, 
And I'm not so sure about that. On the other hand, I think Kate is 100% right that Trump's whole thing is, what do I have to do to remain the center of attention? At least within the GOP. And Kate's exactly right again, that the way you do that is to kind of keep, uh, I'm probably going to run. Is you know, remember, remember how awesome it was when I was president, when we mogged, um, and all this kind of stuff. And as long as he's doing that shtick, he he needs to destroy a few people to show he's in charge. Um, so it's just like you know, at least at least we at least for today, it's sort of like all shot and Freud and and a bowl of cherries for Democrats, right? Because this is a this guy is a really destructive force. And just as I don't know if you guys are seeing this, but for our listeners, as we are recording this, there are Trump. Proud Boys adjacent protesters who've breached the perimeter of the Capitol. There's bomb threats. So like, you know, uh, bomb threats tend not to be real. But like, there's serious violence unfolding as all this stuff happens. And, um, you know, you knew he was a snake when you took him in. We always (laughs) knew this was Trump. And it's really, it's really coming home to roost. Yep. Deals with the devil classically don't let you walk away unscathed. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, <laughs> Right. Well, this is, maybe this is a good transition to, um, you know, what's going on inside the Capitol right now, which is a number of ambitious Republicans, including Josh Hawley of Missouri, uh, Ted Cruz from Texas are trying to lead this, you know, uh, pointless and futile effort to overturn the electoral college tally, basically as a way to signal how awesome and Trumpy they are ahead of the 2024 primaries, I guess. Josh, you wrote yesterday, you, you know, that it really will take an eff- a coordinated effort, I guess, sort of, you know, journalists, but also just kind of the American people to, I don't know, not let that stain be removed very easily. Do you, How do you think that will happen? Do you think, you know, what are the odds that Ted Cruz will come out, you know, a, a blighted Republican candidate after this? Or, you know, will it be memory hold just kind of like lots of other stuff? I'm curious. I don't know exactly. And I, th- I do think that, well, I don't think we know. And I don't know. And I don't think we know. Um, I do think the release of that call, these two Senate victories... And this outbreak of, like, real violence on Capitol Hill right now, this isn't just like some, you know, the kind of what we normally talk about, someone like bent a sign, right? The, 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 you have these Trump proud boys, you know, guys wearing kind of like, you know, uh, medieval times cosplay suits, <laughs> like attacking police officers, right? And there's bomb threats and stuff. I think that all is really hurting the people who went out on this limb with the president. I certainly hope it is. Um, I, I guess the the point I was trying to make in that post was, look, uh, you know, 45% of the population supports this stuff. So you're not going to be able to make like Ted Cruz radioactive in Texas anytime soon, but you have to try. You have to try mostly because if you don't try, 
you make a mockery of the idea that anything was that anything was done that was wrong. Because if it is if it is as wrong as probably you know most of the people listening to this podcast as we think it is, then you should be doing that. And 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 I and I do think that um, we and I and and in this sense I mean we in the kind of the broad democratic center left political uh, you know part of the country. Don't think of that part of the equation enough. It's not just whether you succeed as, you know, kind of driving all of these people out of office. You try, you make it a major priority because that sends the message. This was very, very wrong and much more wrong than almost any other, anything else we have seen in the 250, give or take, years of this country's history. You have to do that because otherwise... It'll, it's just treated like, oh, kind of no harm, no foul. Just, you know, kind of someone lose a football game, they kind of talk a little shit, get a little upset, and, you know, kind of whatever, it doesn't matter. It matters a lot. So that was, uh, and, and um, I don't know, I'm hopeful. I hope, I hope uh, people get that that's important. And, you know, and there are some parts of it that really do require uh, some organizing and some money. You need some, you need some, uh, you know, liberal, if not billionaire, kind of seriously wealthy person to step up and say, hey, I'm going to set up this nonprofit and we are going to, we're, we're going to have the money and resources to follow all these lawyers and do everything we can to get them disbarred. And if, even if they're not disbarred, this is going to be their life for the next three or four years fighting to keep their law licenses. Again, it sends a message that this is completely unacceptable. They're lawyers about the law. And the highest law in a democracy is that the people govern. That is the fundamental law that everything else flows from. And it's also a deterrence. If you do something like this, there's going to be a price. And that's not like, you know, it's, it's not retribution or mean lawyers have responsibilities to the society and the court system and they should be held to account there is a piece of this too that i wonder with the hollies and the cruises and people you know like purdue and leffler who completely have tied themselves to trump who have shown that their ambition outweighs their concern for sustaining the democracy the other piece of it that we've seen is it's not been proven to be a super successful way to be a politician. You know, we saw obviously Trump won in 2016 and that made everyone think this is how it's going to be. You know, we're in for a line of Trumps now. But it really hasn't worked since then. I mean, now we're looking at he lost as a one-term president, an anomaly in our political history. Democrats kept the House. They lost the Senate. I mean, that's not like a really stellar track record for governing like a Trumper. Um, and I think Trump, too, has the had in 2016, especially the benefit of he's got something that a lot of people like. You know, he's got some attitude, some cult of personality that he's able to have. 
And I do not see that same devotion for the cruises and the Hollies of the world. You know, so it'll be interesting to see when they're when they're up next, because a big reaction we've seen to Trump is that it makes people very angry and it makes people who don't like him turn out in huge numbers, especially people who don't usually participate or are in communities that are, you know, have often had their votes suppressed. They rise above that and they show up and they stand in long lines or they send in their ballots. They figure out how to vote absentee. That's kind of the biggest theme we've seen since Trump came to power. So I'm not sure why these people don't think that they're leaving themselves open to that same backlash. Right. So Holly was up in 2022. Is that right? He was. No, I think I think he, he, he came in, in 2016. Pretty oh, sure he can't. Yeah, because he's one of those ones that basically. I thought he unseated McCaskill in 2016, but maybe I'm wrong. I'm almost certain that. it's 2018. Is one of the that he was one of those ones where you know they're killing it in the house, but right. they just you know they where where the uh, you know the Senate. Um, you know the kind of firewall held up in the Senate, and and I mean I'm sort of losing track now, but they I think they gained a couple seats in 2018, right? Yeah. Right. And and yeah, so it was uh, they knocked out a few different uh, red state people, and yeah, I'm almost certain it was it was 2018. So 2024, right. he's up in the right. next uh, presidential same election. With, same with Cruz in that case too, right? Cruz was reelected in 2018. Yeah. That was Correct. the Beto, yep. the Beto yep. Cruz race. Yeah, yeah, we'll yep. see. I know four years is, you know, it's kind of a long time from now. A lot, obviously, a lot can happen. Well, well you know, the funny, the funny thing is, is that, uh, you know, that's going to be in a presidential election, um, and no doubt it'll be another big, you know, kind of intense presidential election. You could see. I don't think it's implausible that in four years a Texas Senate election could be pretty competitive. I mean, look, it was pretty competitive. Two years ago, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, so, I mean, I think you could see Texas at least trending in a blue direction, but I think it's entirely possible you see Missouri trending in a red direction, which mm-hmm. is kind of hard for me to say because I was born in Missouri, right? That's My right. whole family's from Missouri. So it, it, I have a, a, a connection with the state. Uh, I lived there for my first six years. Um, but that is you know, kind of like Ohio, these states that are kind of, you know, demographically uh, similar in a lot of ways. You know, it's it's not um, it's not at all impossible that that we're moving towards a politics where you kind of expect Georgia to go Democrat and Ohio to go Republican in a in a presidential election. In fact, I would almost say that's like the likely outcome um, which is a crazy fast shift if yeah, you think about it. It is. Because totally. Obama won, Obama won, I guess, Ohio and Florida twice, right? Um, yes. Pretty sure. Yes. I'm pretty, yes, I'm pretty sure he did. I guess it was North Carolina that he didn't win the second time. Hmm. I think Romney won North Carolina the second time. Pretty sure. Then you got bizarre outliers, the fact that he won Indiana. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's never happening again. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 Um, all right. Well, okay. What else? Um, what else is kind of on your radar now that these Georgia Senate races are are complete? Are we expecting challenges to the results? I guess both yep. both races seem to be outside of the margin of a, a recount, mm-hmm. right? Which is a point zero point five percent margin is the cutoff, right? And um, but what? You know, what are the kind of possibilities for, I guess, Purdue if 
uh, if it's a closer race with Ossoff as opposed to like Warnock and Leffler. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, we even had the kind of elections workers in Georgia saying that it seems Ossoff is going to finish out of recount territory. So that seems like pretty off the table, which means that then we're just going to get this pale imitation of what Trump already tried. The you know, I guarantee you we're going to see a slew of stupid lawsuits that are all based on, you know, crazy conspiracy theories. And the piece about this, that is another way that Trump hurt these candidates is he and his kind of orbit of Looney Tunes lawyers have lost so much credibility, not that they ever had it, but by kind of like bombarding the courts with these silly, frivolous lawsuits. I mean, what better way to prime judges to not take these challenges seriously um, or to give them all this kind of precedent to work from? Because you could see when we were kind of talking about this before November, we were really worried that they were going to get one of these cases into the hands of a kind of, you know, radical right wing judge. Um But what we saw instead is this just tsunami of kind of really goofy arguments that just got slapped down again and again and again by all judges of all stripes, all levels. And they did that in Georgia, you know, which was one of the obviously one of the swing states in the presidential election. So judges at almost every level in Georgia have already seen these kind of silly uh, lawsuits related to both the presidential and the senatorial kind of before it got kicked off. And I've listened to the hearings on so many of these lawsuits, and it's just judge poke, poke, poke holes in the Trump people's arguments and then gets dismissed with, you know, with no standing. And sometimes the judge is like, by the way, if I'd considered the merits, I would have dismissed on those two. So it's just, you know, I think we're at the point now where that all that craziness from the Trump people have kind of primed these judges to be more prepared for these kind of arguments and to not feel so inclined to take them seriously because it's they're, they're not the first of their kind. And what we've seen from the Republicans too is that since they don't ever really have any argument, it's just like fistful of spaghetti smacked against the wall. So it's it makes it even easier for these judges to say, you know, I'm not not getting my hands dirty with this. This is ridiculous. Dismiss it, you know, 30 minutes into the hearing. So I would say from that perspective, I'm sure we're going to see legal challenges. I'm sure we're going to have Luffler and Purdue saying there was fraud. You know, I'm sure some like poll observer somewhere is going to say, you know, what I saw and go on those like Newsmax hearings or whatever. But personally, I'm just like much, much less worried about that than I was in the presidential. Um, which is good because we're kind of dealing with the situation that the three of us were really worried about before the presidential, which is if it all comes down to one state, that's not so many kind of guardrails. Um, but I think pretty much every level of court in Georgia has already put and put through its paces in this. And all the decisions I've read have been very, you know, sober, rational judges saying this is ridiculous. So I think it, we are uh, in store for some of that. It, it is funny because on the one hand, I kind of feel like all of these suits over the last, like they've kind of gotten even like, you know, diehard Republican judges very used to just like, nope, nope, yep. nope. And also you suck, you know, just <laughs> that it's, it's become like, uh, it, it's clearly, th- these things are so absurd. It's clearly gotten them angry. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, on the other hand, a lot of that is just the fact that these these suits are so absurd, so absurd that 
you know, in some in some ways, it's not you know, it's not that it's shifted the equation anyway. It's just that it, if and when someone comes up with a non-absurd lawsuit, that it's going to be different. Uh, you know, the kind of different ball of wax. Having said that, it does seem like it's a little bit different, right? The kind of like, um, like if you did come forward with, you know, say there was some issue of, you know, a bunch of absentee ballots, there was a chain of custody issue or something like that. Something that was plausible, right? Something that there's at least some colorable issue. I do feel like you would have you'd come into a really skeptical courtroom after everything is, ha- you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, it, yep. it's, it has kind of like any sort of like claims of any kind of weirdness. Everybody on both sides of the aisle is kind of like, dude, no. Like, well, come it's on. the boy who cried election yeah. fraud. How many yeah. times do you want yeah. people no, to listen is. to you? It is. Yeah. It, is. Um, it is. It is. But there is another piece of this that I think will be, focusing on and reporting on, you know, here at TPM over the next few days, which is we still have this weird, you know, little limbo time before Biden takes office and before the senators are seated, um, you know, Warnock and presumably Ossoff. And that is something that I'm kind of going to be looking at pretty closely because I don't think anyone thinks that Mitch McConnell is kind of incapable of pulling some kind of procedural, you know, weird goofiness to keep um, Ossoff from being seated. Um, Right now, David Perdue is not a senator anymore. His term ended on the third, so that seat is open. Leffler is still seated. Um, So you've got that, the weirdness of the empty seat. um, But I don't know. And I, I've, you know, I still need to talk to people about this because we've kind of been tied up in still covering the election today. But I, I do have some qualms about what McConnell could do um, to maybe like keep the seat open or to keep Democrats from getting their you know, control by tie uh, dynamic for as long as possible. You know, and that's kind of just old, archaic Senate procedure that, you know, we got to look at. But um you know, that well, is something. Well, is that how much? Because I'm, I'm, I'm thinking back to the Al Franken stuff in 2008. Mm-hmm. Or actually, wait. Was it 2008 or 2006? 2008. 2008. Oh, it was 2008, yep. right. Um, and the key there was... Oh God, it's, it's... I mean, it went off like six months. Mm-hmm. And I think... It was like the summer by the time... Yeah, or June and, or and, something. And that, that six months was... ended up being highly, highly consequential to a lot of legislation. That was, and that was the point. Right. They were going to try to keep him out as long as possible because he's a 60th vote. My recollection is that basically as long as there was. So you have all these court cases. You know, Senate can see whoever they want, basically. And they were kind of saying, uh, you know, in unless the final, final, final thing is settled, we're not going to. But even now, I'm kind of wondering, like, wait a second. The, the Democrats held the majority, so I'm not even sure what that was, <laughs> what, what that was about. But this is a case, though, where I think what we were just talking about may come into effect. Where I'm not sure judges are going to have a lot of patience mm-hmm. with kind of nonsense just to kind of, you know, kind of drag this out. Um, whereas. I think had all of this not happened over the last two months, 
I think you would have had certainly Republican judges who would have been a, a, a little more accommodating, like, oh, that's interesting. Let's let's work it through. And if it's delayed a little, like, you know, okay, you know, not the end of the world. But I just, and, and I mean, again, I'm, I'm sort of curious to find out after we're done recording kind of just exactly what's happening on Capitol Hill. But just the, 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 the violence, and again, this isn't kind of like you chanted too loud outside my mm-hmm. house. There is like really, you know, there are these these people that are, you know, physically attacking the Capitol Police officers and stuff and storming the building. I think that that there is going to they're going to get a really skeptical uh, response to wanting to drag this out. I think a lot of people, and I think Republicans are actually going to be in that group, want to want to kind of tie this up, move yeah. on. Yeah, I just wanted to chime in on the, uh, you know, the kind of MAGA people who are here. You know, since the election, there have been at least three kind of marquee events in D.C. You know, I mean, there are people here protesting all the time, but three kind of big MAGA stop the steal they bring in their merch and their LED trucks and everything. But, you know, this one just has a different tenor, you know, being here than the other few have. The one right after the election was more, you could even say jubilant, because these Trump people actually thought that it wasn't over. You know, they really thought that their their man had a chance. And that was kind of before every single lawsuit had been shot down. Um, but now you can even, you can see kind of the power ebbing from Trump himself. You can see his conviction that he won't leave the White House starting to kind of take visible blows for the first time. Like even at his um, speech today, you know, he was kind of very low energy and um, the, the, just the tenor of the people who are here is much angrier than it has been before. Um, you do get the sense that people are kind of here looking for a fight. You know, we have the DC mayor and everyone is just straight up telling people don't go downtown, you know, stay home, just wait till they leave because they're looking to make trouble. And there've just been, like you said, Josh, there've been clashes with the police, which are doubly kind of interesting because you can hear some people on the videos yelling, you know, we were the ones on your side. So that's kind of an interesting dynamic that's happening. But you also just have this kind of yeah, there's just anger that's like throbbing. There was a video that we saw um, earlier today of two, you know, people kind of clad in MAGA stuff. Um, there's a church on our corner that has these giant uh, Black Lives uh, Matter banners that they just unfurled. And anyway, these two men were reenacting George Floyd's murder on the steps of this church. There's just, there's a palpable fury in these people who are finally coming to terms with the fact that not only did their guy lose, then they lost their, at their first chance of revenge as well. Um, and it just, it does, it feels different than what it's felt like before. Yeah, I know it is, it is scary. Maybe we should uh, leave it there, get back to covering it. And, you know, we'll be back next week, if not sooner, if there's, um, you know, more to, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> more to bring to you. But, um, but yeah, that's a good place to leave it for now. 
Yeah, stay with us at TPM. We're still waiting for that Ossoff call. Yep, exactly. Well, uh, let me remind everybody, the Josh Marshall Podcast is brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. You can go to Grady'sColdBrew.com. Use the promo code TPM to get 25% off your first order. Great stuff. Give it a try. And uh, back to the trenches, folks. That's right. Let's Stay do it. Stay safe down there, Kate. All right. Mm. Bye, All right, guys. Take care. Thanks, guys. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.